So stand with me, please. I'm going to read Luke 12. We're finally back to the book of Luke after the holiday break and doing other things. Luke 12, I've loved uh, this weekend and uh, this week in Ecuador studying in this passage. Beginning in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should answer, how you should defend yourself, or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Friends, this is the book, the Word of God. May God speak to us this morning. Please be seated. Church, let's press into this passage because there's not one, but there's a half a dozen areas of this passage that speak into our life. And the real question is, Lord, what are you saying to me today? So just be having that in your heart because we don't come here as hearers. We come here as doers to respond and to obey. Now, what does Jesus have for you today? He's got some stuff for me. It's already been clear. But what's he got for you? He starts off by just mentioning that there are thousands of people gathered to where Jesus was teaching. Thousands. So many that they were trampling one another. So you've got to imagine, this is like after a big football game or something, and it's just so packed getting out of the stadium that, you know, if somebody fell down, they'd get trampled. But what is interesting about this, this is not in a major city with six or seven million people. In fact, the whole planet at that time had so fewer number of people than exist today. You probably have heard the stats. Half of the people who've ever been alive are alive today. I mean, the populations have gone so much greater, just the expansion. So here we are on the eastern fringes of the Roman Empire, an agrarian society, rural society, and yet these people are coming from everywhere. They're traveling days from all over the country and surrounding countries because they've heard that this man, Jesus, is like no other man that they've ever heard of. He does miracles. He teaches with authority. He's got wisdom that's clearly from above. He walks on the water. He feeds the 5,000, and they're flocking. The power of Jesus. And, you know, that's a day, of course, without, you know, being able to use Facebook and Twitter and things like that to gather the people. But the word is spreading. The power of Jesus. He gathers them on this occasion and says to them in verse 2 or verse 1, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now, that's relevant, isn't it? Hypocrisy. 
non-Christian world who don't go to church, their biggest problem about churches is a bunch of hypocrites go there. And uh, that's true. We are hypocrites. Nobody is free of hypocrisy. Those on the inside of the church are those on the outside. Hypocrisy simply means you're not completely transparent and honest and open about who you are. That to some extent you are pretending, posing, uh, trying to impress other people. And there's no sin that Jesus seemed to denounce more than the, than the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The English word hypocrisy, like so many English words, comes from the Greek words, uh, hypocrites, And the word was hupo under a mask, krites, hypocrites. And you've seen these symbols of drama today. Uh, you know, the smiling face and the frowning face. And in the ancient world, they did plays actually grab these little masks and kind of walk behind them. And, you know, that was their costuming and makeup world. Today, we're a little more sophisticated than that. But it's under a mask. And that gives the point of hypocrisy today. To some extent, we wear a mask. We're not transparent or open or honest. We're trying to impress other people. And that, of course, is rooted in pride in the church, spiritual pride, which might be the, you know, kind of the mother root of all sin. Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is when we pretend that we are more spiritual than we uh, really are, that we have fewer problems than we really do, that we've, uh, we act differently before different groups of people rather than just being ourselves. You know, th- this is who I am. And there is something about the heart of God that just loves it when we're real, real with him and real with people. And it is freeing for us. To, to drop the mask and not pretend anymore. Moreover, when we are around people who clearly have pretending and posing and self-righteousness, don't we always smell it out? And we don't like it, do we? You know, hardly anybody is effective at pretending. We can always tell, and it nauseates us. So why do we think that when we're pretending that other people don't know that we're pretending? Because of our pride. You know, it just be smarter and certainly more pleasing to God to drop the pretense as much as possible. None of us are free of it. I pretend some, um, but, but this is what God is calling us to do. And where in your life is there pretense and posing right now that you're trying to impress other people rather than just be yourself? You know, since we started our church, it's been 21 years now, this has been a value because there's a passage about Jesus that just has wrecked me for this. And... Um, I just know how important it is to the heart of God that we, that we uh, not pretend and pose. You know, the passage comes in Matthew 26, and this is the situation. Uh, this is Thursday night before the, he's crucified on Friday morning. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. Many of us have been to the Mount of Olives. You can picture that place. Now, this is what's happening. He's already met with his disciples and introduced communion, the Lord's Supper, and, and, and talked with them in John 13 through 16, and he's had this special prayer. He gets to that uh, garden, and pretty soon there's going to be a bunch of, of religious leaders come in and arrest him, and that'll start the trial in place to lead to his crucifixion the next day. And it just hits him so strongly. Not the physical pain of the crucifixion, which was the greatest pain that any form of execution in the ancient world, but it was the spiritual pain of having all of the world's sin placed upon him a holy, sinless son of God. And the idea of being 
separated from his father that he's been so close to for all eternity and bearing the world's sin, it was overwhelming in a way that we cannot imagine. So much so that when he gets there, he says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Which, you know, he's saying, I am hurting so badly. I am overwhelmed with sorrow. I feel like dying. I'm at the point of death. Would you help me please and pray for me? Three times, would you pray, would you pray, would you pray? Now, friends, that is so authentic. That is so real. That is so humble. Here he is, the one who came to the earth from heaven as the eternal son of God. The one who, with his mere breath, created the galaxies. I mean, this is God, the son. And as a man, he is so vulnerable and honest. He says, I feel like dying. I am hurting so badly. I need you to pray with me. Friends, when I read that passage, I can't get over it. I think, man, the bar of authenticity and honesty and transparency is so high. How in the world can we followers of Jesus run around in the church and outside the church pretending to be something we're not? I mean, let's just throw up. That is so bad. And let's just drop the pretense. If Jesus, the Son of God, was so real, Friends, nobody here has their act together. Every one of us, we're broken, we're flawed, we're, we're struggling. We got areas of sin in our life that we, we want God to, to transform and we're not perfect in relationships. We're, we're flawed, broken people. And God is gracious and merciful. We don't pretend that, that, that we get our act together, but we, we, we serve a Savior who's rescued us and we love Him. It's all about a Savior, not about us. Church, I just would urge you, and as I urge myself, let's take, let's take authenticity to the next level. And just drop the pretense as much as possible. He moves on, lets us know that everything's going to be known in the future. There's not going to be any pretending and secrets at the judgment day. And then four, verse four, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, they have nothing more that they can do. Re- remember, the next morning, Jesus is going to be nailed to a cross. Uh, those disciples, most of them, would be martyred before they died. Uh, I mean, this is a real thing. And under Nero, who would soon be the emperor in 64, 60 AD, uh, there'd be tons of believers fed to the lions and crucified and all kind of things. Domitian later in the, in the uh, century... Uh, tons of believers, and it's been that way since. But in our world, in the 20th century, there were more martyrs for Christ than the previous 19th centuries put together. And they don't put that on the front of the Houston Chronicle, but it's happening all over the world, especially today in Iran, I mean in uh, uh, Syria. Don and Becky Donaldson, I see in the back there, they, 10, 12 years ago, they started a hospitality house in the Arabian Peninsula uh, as a refuge for missionaries from Kazakhstan, Yemen, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan especially, to have some place to go for a little break and rest and being loved on before they went back into a very tough situation. And and they got to where about 25 missionaries a night were staying there. It was an incredible ministry. But over the years, the hardest thing about that for them, because I know, I saw them just hurt, was when one of those dear friends who had stayed at their home was later going back to Kabul or someplace in Afghanistan was martyred for, for the cause of Christ. 22 of them during their watch, and it's still going on. This is happening. And uh, Jesus, the night before he's crucified, says, do not fear those who kill the body. (laughs) 
because that's all they can do. But he says, fear of him who, after killing the body, has the authority to throw into hell. David Platt, in his marvelous book, Radical, if you've not read Radical by David Platt, young pastor who's now the head of all Southern Baptist missionaries around the world, he said this about the passage. He said, Jesus was telling his disciples who would face certain persecution and suffering, don't be afraid of people. The worst they can do is kill you. We say, well, if I go to that place, I could be killed. Jesus replies, that's all? We don't need to be afraid to go anywhere in the world because the, wor- because the worst that could happen is that we, ought to be ki- that we might be killed. You know, the entire Bible teaches we ought to fear God and that we shouldn't fear anything else but God. Now, we don't fear God in the sense of being afraid or a cringing fear, but in the sense of, of awe and respect and, and really wanting to please him. Uh, Rose Claxton was down the front doing the sign language earlier, and, and, and between the services, she said, Jeff, it's interesting that in sign language, there's two different words for fear. So one is, 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 is like this, and it's, it's like the panic kind of fear where you're really afraid of something. He said, but with fear of God, it's more like this, where it's this sense of adoration and respect and reverence. And it's all the difference in the world. But they're related because if you fear God, really fear God, you will fear nothing else and no one else. But if you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. And Jesus teaching in this passage, do not be afraid. As we see from Genesis to Revelation, do not be afraid, time after time. Now, friends, here, here's, here's our brokenness in terms of being real. I struggle with fears, and so do you. It is probably the most challenging human emotion, probably the most destructive human emotion. It just at times eats our lunch and ruins all joy and peace. And, and, and part of our humanness is that we struggle with fear. And Jesus is saying, look, bring your fears to me and fear only me. Uh, the worst they can do is, is kill you. But your God in heaven will take care of you. Bring your fears to the Lord. Now, immediately after that, there's a surprise twist. Because he's talking about, you know, fear him who has the authority to cast you into hell. I mean, that's the one to fear. But then the very next lines, he talks about the tender, the incredibly tender love of God in very strong language. Now, this is one of those passages to really soak in. Verse 6, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. He's taking the least valuable bird, a sparrow. You can sell a bunch of them for a couple of pennies. And, uh, but, but not one is forgotten. Not one is forgotten by God? I mean, the God of the universe? And then he goes on to say, why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, fear not, you are more value than many sparrows. <laughs> Understatement. Uh, you don't have to fear because you've got a, a, a God who's just crazy in love with you, and he's going to take care of you. Um, that, that passage is so strong that it's, Hard for us to believe. It's just, uh, I mean, really? Yes, or Friday noon, uh, I took uh, one of our grandkids, Evie, three-year-old Evie, to a little date. And we had a great time. <clears throat> we had a great time. And uh, <laughs> we went to the mall, and her first choice, you know, do, Evie, do you want to go to Chick-fil-A first? Or you want to go to the merry-go-round? I'll go to the merry-go-round. So we rode the horse in the merry-go-round. She loved that. Then we went to Chick-fil-A. Had a great time eating Chick-fil-A. 
Then she saw over to the side, uh, you can buy these little splat toys so you can throw against the wall and splat. And so we got that. You know, grandparents can spoil their grandkids, you know. And uh, then she said, she surprised me. She said, Let, let's go look at the pets. I didn't know she knew about the pets at the store. So apparently Sarah has been taking her to the pet store at some point. So we walked down, find, <coughs> walked down, find the pet store, all kind of animals. We got uh, rabbits and dogs and birds and all kind of things there. And uh, we did not bring back a pet. You know, her parents would have shot me if I'd have done that. But we looked at all the pets. Now, just imagine, let's just pretend that we bought a bird, uh, a little cute yellow tweeting bird. And to buy that bird, we, we needed to buy a cage. And we put the bird in the cage, bought it, paid for it, walked that cage down to the car, got, got Evie in the back seat, got her buckled up, put the cage on the seat beside her, and just pretend that we're driving home down Woodlands Parkway, going at a good clip, and all of a sudden, a car cuts in front of me, and i got to slam on my brakes, and Evie's okay, she's buckled in, but the bird and the bird cage slam against the back seat, and it knocks the bird out. God cares about that bird. Isn't that what Jesus just said? He said... Or not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? What's he saying? He's saying, look, even a bunch of sparrows your Father in heaven cares about. Notice this. How much more does God care about you? And then he says, well, the hairs on your head. God's numbered them. Numbered them? Really? Why? He's saying God cares about the the smallest details about you that you could imagine. The smallest details. John Ardberg is a funny writer and uh, pastor. He said this about the passage. He says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. We often take it as a sign of love if someone is able to notice a haircut or change in hairstyle. By the same token, the failure to notice a change in hairstyle is one of the leading causes of conflict in marriage. He said, God has numbered every hair. If one falls out, he notices. He may not replace it, unfortunately, but he notices. God notices things your mother has never noticed. And when we live in the love of God, we begin to pay attention to people the way God pays attention to us. Church, uh, the God in heaven who is great and holy and just and Sovereign and infinite and eternal, and he's, he's so great that we have no idea. He, he is incomparably great, which is to say, nothing can even be compared to him. Nothing. He's so great. But he is so tender that he uses the name Papa, Abba, Daddy. Call me, Bob, call me Papa. And he, and, and he knows every detail about us. We're, we're of more value to, to him than so many sparrows. To the fact that, to the point that he's numbered the hairs in our head. And church, uh, this is a very picturesque image of the love of God for you. There is no greater theme in the Bible than the love and the grace of God. Because if we don't get, no, that's not it. If we don't feel the love and the grace of God for us personally, um, we won't love him back. We won't really trust him. We won't enjoy him. We won't enjoy life. This is the ball game. The love of God 
the tenderness of God. Not surprisingly, the main strategy of Satan is to get you to doubt and disbelieve God's love for you. He'll try to put all things, kind of things in your mind. God is mad at you. Oh, you've messed up too much. Oh, yeah, you did this. And do anything he can to put lies in your head that we tend to believe that God doesn't really care about you. And that's why the main message of the Bible is the love of God, the relentless tenderness and affection of God. Uh, I, I don't know how to say this, church. Um, I, I would so wish that I could reach down into your heart and my heart and just make this so clear that we would feel and know that we're so loved by God. It makes all the difference. I'm not talking about loving good people and missionaries and pastors and Billy Grahams. I'm talking about the person right now who's sitting in your seat. You got that person down? You know who that is? That one. The way I love my grandkids, not, not because they perform, but just I just love them, is the way God loves you times a billion, billion, billion. Believe it. It's why every day, just about, I'll begin my time with the Lord, a couple of hours with the Lord, just of sort of soaking in His love, receiving His love, going over a few verses uh, about God's love. Yes, Lord, yes, I'm so loved. I'm so secure. I'm so safe. God loves that. Are you going to listen to the lies of Satan who is out to ruin your life and ruin your family and destroy your soul? Are you going to listen to those lies or will you listen to the truth of the Word of God, that you are just incredibly loved by God. He's numbered the hairs in your head. Friends, this is a ball game. Receive it. Receive it. He's got a few more things for us. In verse 7, 8, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Isn't it interesting how Jesus could say the most tender thing and the most severe thing? You know, he, he just, he, truth and, and love, justice and mercy, just perfect balance. Nowhere seen better than the cross where we see the justice of God, sin had to be paid for. We see the mercy of God, Jesus paid for it. Justice and love. He tells us, if you don't stand up for me, if you sort of wimp out and sort of pretend, pretend again, pretend that you're really not a loyal Christ follower, you don't speak up and own that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You kind of uh, hide the fact at work or in your neighborhood that, that really he's the most important thing in your life. It's really a matter of honesty. But if you sort of shrink back from that, he says, to some extent, you'll be denied. All over the world, there are believers like you and me who, because of the world they live in, this could mean life and death. It doesn't mean that for us, not now. But, you know, do we have such uh, embarrassment or shame or something that we couldn't be honest about? Well, yeah, we're, we're Christ followers. Um, we stand up for Jesus. We live for him. We're unashamed for him. That's God's call for us. A little story I read this week about a Muslim background man by the name of Nabil Qureshi. He said he was born in California, a family, a Pakistani family, immigrant family. And uh, he said we were kind of the Islamic leave it to beaver family. And uh, Islam was everything to us. Uh, by the time he was five years old, he was reading the Quran in Arabic. He was praying throughout the day. He was, uh, the family plan was that he would be like his grandfather, a medical missionary for Islam. 
And that was his world and background. He was trained about to defend his faith from you know, Christians who tried to convert him and other things. When he got to college, uh, he was on a debate team. And one of the other debate team members, a guy named David Wood, uh, and they struck up a real friendship. And the thing about David Wood was he was an unashamed follower of Jesus. He didn't hide his faith. In fact, David said, this is the first Christian I'd ever seen that really actually read the Bible. And uh, he, he lived for him, and he was all out for him. And they engaged in dialogue, and David Wood encouraged his friend um, Qureshi, Nabil Qureshi, to, to check out the, the claims of Jesus for yourself. To check out the, the historical evidences for Jesus and the Bible and the New Testament. And that began a journey because he was an intellectually minded guy. He began a journey, a four-year journey to investigate. And at some point, he comes to the conclusion, yep, Jesus must be the Son of God. This Bible must be the Word of God. And he said, you know, that, that was just um, shattering for him. I mean, this would mean losing his family and his whole world. And, you know, his family that he deeply loved. And uh, he had to be sure that the, the, the truth because the cost of following was so great for him. He said, I knew then that accepting Jesus meant I would give up my life and family, saying that something other than Allah is God is the unforgivable sin. If you believe that Jesus is God, Muslims believe that's a ticket to hell. So when he reached intellectually these conclusions, he asked God, Lord, would you confirm this to me in a dream? Now, you may know all over the Muslim world, Muslims are coming to Jesus. 85% of the cases, there's a dream or a vision as a part of that process. There's God's doing that in his grace and his mercy. So Qureshi says, Lord, would you give me a dream to confirm this? Well, in the following days and weeks, he had three clear dreams, three clear dreams. And he said, okay. And he asked God for time to mourn before he told his family. He knew this would be so hard. Then he read uh, Matthew 10, 32, which is the equivalent of the passage I just read in Matthew. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before my father in heaven. He said, I knew I had what I had to do. He says, when I told my father, my Superman, I felt a depth of pain I've never felt before. I asked God why he didn't just kill me. But by then, everything had changed. When I saw someone walking down the street, I saw someone my God was willing to die for. That rot, rots my soul. I don't look at people that way. Would that I. When I see someone walking down the street, I see someone that my God was willing to die for. He died for us while we were still his enemies. That's good news that everyone should hear. Later wrote a book, Understanding Islam, Reaching Muslims. He said he was raised to be an ambassador for Islam, and now he tries to spread the truth about Jesus. He says around the world, he's asked Muslims, has any Christian ever reached out to you? He says just about all of them say no. 98% is his estimate, say no. And... Uh, he says, I believe a Christian should be equipped to defend their faith. They should reach out in friendship as David reached out to me. We stayed the best of friends even while he challenged me. And he refers to that challenge of Jesus, go and make disciples, including go disciple lost people, including Muslim people, into the kingdom. And um, church, we live in a day that uh, we didn't live in 100 years ago. The nations were coming to Houston. Houston's the most international city uh, on, on, uh, in the United States, and tons of them are Muslims. And they need to be loved, not feared, not rejected, not hated, but they need to be loved by you and me. And uh, God could use you to change an eternity.
And let's just be bold. I need more boldness. I need more boldness. But let's just be bold. We're not, we don't want to kick doors open, but we want to walk through the doors that God opens and available and alert to what God's doing. A few more verses. Verse 10 has been a scary verse for a lot of people. Verse 10 says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And there have been a lot of Christians saying, Man, have I committed the unpardonable sin? In fact, if you struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder like I have struggled with it, you at some time in your life, you've worried about that, haven't you? I have. And uh, it's a tough thing. Uh, Let me encourage you. If you are worried about whether or not you have committed the unpardonable sin, that's a sure sign that you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Or you wouldn't be worried about it. Uh, If you've struggled with that, you got a little OCD stuff, just come talk to me afterwards and me or one of my other Brothers and sisters who struggle with that can help you. Um, what is Jesus saying here? I mean, again, again, Jesus says these such strong things. Uh, some people feel like that, well, this could only be done by the people who saw Jesus in the flesh and attributed the miracles and the teachings not to God but to Satan. And, and the Pharisees did that. They say, uh, some say that. I don't know about that. That's not convincing to me. That's certainly reading a lot into the passage. I think more likely... By, by the way, when you come to difficult passages in the Old Testament, you interpret the different. In t- when you come to difficult passages in the Bible, one rule of thumb is to interpret difficult passages by the more clear passages. And if you take all the passages of the Bible together, I think the probably most likely thing is this: is that the one who opens our eyes to Jesus is the Holy Spirit. He gives us faith, opens our eyes. And, and what we're doing here, what we're seeing here, is somebody who rejects the Holy Spirit's witness about Jesus and therefore rejects Jesus. Now, if you do that for the rest of your life and live that way, then, uh, you know, that, that's unforgivable because the only way for forgiveness is, is through Jesus. But it's okay to turn off that phone if that's anybody's pocket there. Go ahead. Um, but if, um, you know, you see all those passages like this. Uh, if anyone comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Uh, he who comes to um, uh, if anyone is, he- is, is weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Whoever, believe- whoever believes in me will not perish. perish so you have the clear message of the Bible. So if you're worried about doing that, uh, it, you know, this is not just kind of a rash statement at some point, but this is a, a lifelong rejection of the Spirit's witness to Jesus. Last couple of verses quickly. And when... They bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know, that could happen to us, that we could be in a very hostile situation, and we have to depend upon the Spirit there. But but really, I think it it has wider application to in every situation, every um, conversation. Let us depend upon the Spirit to guide us and not our own human reasoning. We, We depend upon the Spirit. Church, um, where is God speaking to you this morning? You know, of these half dozen issues, I know for me, two or three of them really, you know, pierce into my soul. Uh, what, is, what, what does God want you to do in response? Remember, we're not, we don't come to be hearers, but doers of the Word of God. And are you asking Him, Lord, what do you have to say? These are the, the truths, the principles. Get rid of all pretense and posing. Be real. Secondly, only fear God. 
Give up all your other fears. Third one, you are so incredibly loved by your God in heaven. Believe it. Believe it. Next, stand up boldly for Christ. Be all in. Unashamed of Him. Next, the unforgivable, the unforgivable sin is to reject the Spirit's witness of that Jesus. By the way, if this is an issue for you at all, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can do it right now. Right now, just breathe a prayer saying, Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me. I need a Savior. He'll hear that prayer. And then finally, in any difficult situation, depend on the Spirit to guide your words.